Hello and welcome to this ACU Oncology Update on Oncogene Driver Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer from the ESMO Congress in Paris. I am Dr. David Planchard from Gustave Roussy Institute, Villejuif, France. I'm very pleased to be joined today by two of my colleagues, Dr. Egbert Smith from Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands and Dr. Daniel Tan from the National Cancer Center Singapore in Singapore. We are whole thoracic oncologists and involved in lung cancer research. Welcome, Egbert and Daniel, and thank you both for your time in joining me today. In today's ACU Oncocast, our expert will provide an update on targeted therapy in early stage non-small cell lung cancer. As you know, over the recent years, advance in technology from genomic profiling, biomarker-driven targeted therapy, and immunotherapy with immune checkpoint inhibitor have substantially improved the outcome of patients with advanced lung cancer. With evolving treatment strategies, the management of advanced cell lung cancer is becoming increasingly complex. In addition, some of these new strategies are being investigated in early stage non-small cell lung cancer. In our discussion today, we'll evaluate some of the new data in biomarker-driven non-small cell lung cancer presented at this year's ESMO meeting and how the data may impact clinical practice and ongoing research. Let's start our discussion with an update on target therapy in early stage, particularly focused on the EGF non-small cell lung cancer. The majority of patients with non-small cell lung cancer are diagnostic with advanced stage, but approximately one-third of patients present with an early stage potentially resectable. These patients are treated with surgery, presumine adjuvant treatment. We had a lot of discussion, neoadjuvant, adjuvant treatment, but more than one decade, we know the benefit to expose this patient with platinum salt, benefit at five years, around 5%. Recently, for stage 1b to stage 3a, patients who are born EGFR-sensitive mutations, adjuvant osimertinib has been adopted in many countries based on the initial finding from the ADORA trial, which showed a highly significant longer disease-free survival if patients receive osimertinib for three years after presumine adjuvant chemotherapy as a ratio 0.17. And among those, osimertinib did clearly better in comparison to the placebo treatment. At ESMO meeting, updated analysis on disease-free survival and recurrence pattern after two years additional follow-up were presented. So probably we can ask Egbert firstly, if you can briefly highlight what were the key findings of this updated analysis and what this result mean for the clinical practice. Thank you, uh, David. Um, Yes, Dr. Tsuboy uh, from Japan uh, did present uh, updated results from the Audora trial where patients had two additional years of follow-up. So meaning that virtually all patients are now able, have now been able to, to have the three-year protocol-specified treatment. And I think the key findings uh, can be summarized in, uh, in a couple of sentences. One is that in the uh, primary analysis, that's the population, that's those patients with stage 2 and 3a, the hazard ratio for disease-free survival is maintained at a very 
very uh, clinically relevant level, I would uh, say. The hazard ratio was uh, 0.23, meaning that there was a 77% reduction in the risk of uh, recurrence. Second, uh, the, uh, what is important is that in particular, uh, CNS recurrence was very low in the patients treated with osimertinib as compared to those patients treated with chemotherapy or had no adjuvant treatment alone. Third, uh, this treatment was generally well tolerated. There are no new safety signals and only a few patients actually discontinue treatment because of uh, uh, toxicities. So I would submit that all in all, this is a very relevant finding. I think uh, we have to wait a couple of years probably for the OS results. And uh, this, uh, um, this updated analysis reinforces the, um, let's say, the benefit that one might get with adjuvant osimertinib in patients with each of our mutant disease that has been resected. I totally agree. And so I was still quite impressive by the, by the data that we presented, and particularly whatever the stage, uh, even in stage 1b, uh, but also stage 2 and stage 3a, uh, we see this huge magnitude of benefit in yes. free survival. Perhaps we still have this question when the patient discontinues the treatment after three years, uh, when uh, what will happen in three yes. years, four years, which we still seems to have uh, probably a tendency of higher disease uh, recurrence-free survival in this population, particularly stage two and stage three A, you know? So, yes, I, I think uh, the discussion, uh, uh, Dr. Popat from uh, the Royal Marsden in London was quite correct in identifying the finding that uh, when you stop treatment after three years, it seems that the, um, uh, the recurrence rate, at least in the brain, goes substantially up. So maybe uh, three years is not enough and we have to continue treatment beyond three years. But of course, that would uh, require maybe a formal clinical trial, but we may also learn from uh, uh, other diseases, right? I mean, for GIST, it has been shown that uh, the longer you have the adjuvant treatment, the, um, the more clinical benefit you have from uh, treatment. So I think there are examples in the literature that would support even longer uh, use. I agree. And so that's why you're still to have a longer follow-up is always nice yes. in this situation. Yes. And particularly how it translates in benefit in overall survival, because what we might expect, it's potentially to cure the... Uh, yeah. a higher proportion of this uh, of this patient. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so it could be quite challenging to get an overall survival readout given yes. this kind of data that's emerging now. And I guess it goes back to the question, what is the goal of adjuvant therapy, whether we are there to delay the progression or you know increase the cure rates? And I guess the verdict is still out there. So we still can't tell based on the, what we've seen so far. I think... Uh, um such a incredible uh, benefit in, in disease-free survival, I mean, more or less justifies uh, this adjuvant treatment in itself, no? I think being, disease, being free from disease uh, rather than maybe cure, and I agree, sure, when, if it would be possible to cure a lot of people by, by this uh, treatment, and I, I agree with Daniel that may probably, that will not be the case, given the findings we have in stage four disease. But even then, this disease-free uh, or event-free survival benefit 
I think justifies in itself the uh, the administration of this treatment. No, for sure, and particularly because nowadays we are looking for other compound, perhaps uh, some uh, association of treatment, better understanding the mechanism of escape and how to try to avoid any escape in this population. But all the year we might gain in terms of disease-free. I think this is uh, something important for, for the patient and the science is moving so quickly. So we might expect uh, perhaps to have new strategy in a few years. Uh, and also because we know perhaps in this population, immune treatment is not the best population to be exposed to neo or adjuvant immune treatment as we may have in other patients who are non-agiofermitated. So clearly this is the best uh, option we have currently for our patients who are agiofermitated. And so that's mean for you, Daniel, for example, in terms of molecular testing nowadays, uh, how it change your practice? So that means you will uh, test the patient upfront uh, when you perform the diagnostic, the biopsy, or you're waiting the surgical restriction to perform the molecular testing on the, on the tissue from the resected piece? Uh, yeah, so in our institution, we still do reflex testing on the biopsy. And if there isn't sufficient, it does, goes into the resected uh, specimen for, for reflex testing as well. We do, you know, use an NGS panel, even though I think based on the data that we have now, EGFR is probably the most critical um, gene to test. But again, this is a function of you know, accessibility in, in the whichever kind of your and your local setup. Um, I think one of the challenges moving forward, and we were alluded to in the last discussion, is going to be really also trying to identify which patients will, you know, potentially start stratifying patients. Because again, I think when we look at a DORA trial in its totality, we are definitely seeing high event rate, but it's we probably haven't seen that subset of patients with longer term follow-up that may plateau um, and, and not relapse. So increasingly, I think that will probably be um, something that will come through with the subsequent uh, follow-ups. But I agree, until we see that and until we unravel these subsets, you know, there is a very compelling argument to be using, um, you know, adjuvenacimatinib in this, in, in, this, in this juncture. Great. I um, just want to, uh, we have to close this part and uh, really interesting and uh, just confirming the, the role of osimertinib in adjuvant setting. Uh, I think we have uh, other trial ongoing also with other molecular alteration to try to also uh, confirm uh, the role of adjuvant treatment with targeted therapy for other subpopulations with a specific oncogene driver alteration. Uh, well, thank you, Ed Burke and Daniel. This was an excellent discussion and thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for the next ACU Oncast. Uh, as we discuss updates on the detection of osimertinib resistant and targeting MET amplification.